Okay, good morning. morning. I'll tell you what, with singing like that, I don't even need to preach. I can just... (laughs) I can just read and we can go home early. How's that? But we're not going to do that. You're not getting getting off that easy. Hey, my name is Tim. I serve as one of the pastors here. It's good to be with you this morning. Before we jump into God's Word this morning, got uh, a couple of announcements for you. Uh, First, on coming up at the end of this month, on August 28th, we are having our next baptism class. So if you're here and you say, Tim, I follow Jesus, uh, but I haven't been baptized, well, let me just say your next step in following Jesus is to be baptized. Uh, and really, there should be no th- such thing as a, uh, a unbaptized believers. Every Christ follower should be baptized. So if this is you, uh, we would love to come uh, you to join us at uh, this class. Maybe you're here today and you say, Tim, you know, I don't know if I follow Jesus or not. And we would just say, hey, why don't you come to this class? Because here at the baptism class, you're going to hear the gospel and you're going to hear what it means and what it looks like to follow Jesus in your life. And also, uh, we get to carry on what we just did, singing uh, worship to Jesus. Uh, We're going to do a little bit more of that this coming Thursday night on our next worship night. Uh, So once you come and join us for that, it's at 6.30 p.m. Uh, It's going to be fun for the whole family. So the whole family uh, gets to come and be a part of that. There's not going to be child care. So we're going to cram everybody in here, and we're just going to sing loudly to Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me over to 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Now, if you don't have a, a Bible uh, with you, uh, we, we say here at Grace Point Church, we want you to have a Bible. You need a Bible. We want you to have God's Word in your hand. Uh, so we have tables around the gathering center here inside. Uh, you can go uh, grab a Bible off of one of those. It is our gift to you. Please take it. It is free. Also, if you're out there in the lobby, there are uh, Bibles out there on the center point, uh, center point area. You can go grab one there. Now, uh, when you think about life, there are lots of things to be anxious about, isn't there? Uh, uh, My boys, last year, they got their driver's permit, and so um, that caused a lot of anxiety in mine and Kate's life. We we, we, we managed to push the imaginary brake on our side of the uh, car. Um, public speaking, right? A lot of people would, would, would just have a lot of anxiety around public speaking. Uh, I'm always nervous when I get up here. I'm always mostly worried that my zipper is going to be down or there's a <laughs> booger in my nose or, or something. Uh, but uh, school, like tests, like, like we have tests coming up, whether you're taking maybe your SATs or your ACTs or just uh, your final exams or your, your testing for your career or whatever that is, that causes some, some anxiety in our lives. Uh, asking someone out on a date, right? Uh, that's nerve-wracking. Like they could say no. Asking someone to marry you. I remember when I asked Kate to marry me, I was, I was very nervous. Uh, I was pretty certain she was going to say yes, but you know, you never know, right? Um, flying, flying makes, makes some people nervous. Uh, it's not flying that gets me. It's always going through the TSA security line. Like, I'm always worried that, like, I've got something in there that shouldn't be in there. Like, they're going to mistake my Tylenol for, like, me trying to smuggle drugs or something, and they're pulling me into a back room. Uh, but we have all kinds of things that we are anxious about. And top it off, not only does life give us free opportunities to be anxious, we pay for opportunities to be anxious, right? Uh, some of you have probably done skydiving. We, we pay to, to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. Uh, if that's not enough, you can pay to jump off a building. Uh, I think you can go down to the stratosphere and you can pay someone to let you jump off the side of it. 
Um, we, we pay for haunted houses. We pay for scary movies. Uh, we, we pay someone to make us frightened or anxious or worried. Uh, but, you know, we kind of laugh, haha, those things are funny, and they are. But there's a lot of things in our life that causes us worry and anxiety, isn't there? And really, as we jump into our text today, Peter, he, he knows this about us. He knows this about life, and he begins to focus our attention on our anxieties. In fact, we're getting to the end of this letter in 1 Peter. Uh, and uh, we're, in fact, like next week, we're going to be closing out this series as we've walked through 1 Peter. And if you remember anything about this book, the primary theme uh, that Peter has been focusing on has been suffering. It's been suffering. In fact, 21 times Peter has, has talked to these churches that he's writing to about suffering. And really what I've loved about Peter throughout this, this book is that as, as we've walked through it, Peter, you can tell Peter is writing from his experiences with Jesus. He's sharing with us things that he has learned directly from walking with Jesus. So undoubtedly, as Peter is writing out this letter, he has the words of Jesus in John 16, when, he, when Jesus is telling his disciples, he says, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, I want you to just imagine for a moment, once you get out your imagination, and I want you to imagine that you are the first century church, that you are hearing this letter of Peter being read for the very first time. Now, they didn't have the Bible like we do now, so uh, they, their pastor didn't go through it verse by verse and break it down each week. Uh, and so when they got a letter, the whole church would gather together, and the pastor would read aloud the entire letter to the church. So I want you to imagine that you're the first century church, that you're hearing this letter, and the pastor's standing up, and he's, he's getting ready to read this letter. He's like, hey, you know what? I got this letter from the apostle Peter, and you can imagine the church is probably pretty excited because, you know, they don't get a lot of mail in those days. And like, hey, this letter has come, and we, we, we get to hear from Peter, and I wonder what he's going to say to us. I wonder what he has to tell us. And, and, and so the pastor gets up, and he reads this letter, and then at the, when he's done reading it, he looks out at everybody, and then all of a sudden in that moment, everybody is just dead silent. They're kind of struck. And they're kind of sitting there because they just heard Peter warn them that suffering is coming their way. And they begin to understand this and they begin to believe this because already they're being pushed to the edges of culture. No longer, uh, it wasn't in vogue to follow Jesus. And they, they were being pushed to the edges of so culture and society. And Peter is saying, guess what? It's going to get worse. Suffering is coming. Uh, and the crazy thing about it is that actually suffering did come for them. Uh, Nero at this point had not come into power. And so uh, when Nero came into the power... Uh, we, we, what we know from history is that Nero hated Christians. He hated Christians so much that when Nero actually burned part of Rome because it was uh, a broken down in a poor area and he wanted to rebuild it, so he, he burned it down. And then the Roman people started to revolt against Nero for burning down the city. And so what he did to squash the, the rebellion and revolt, he just said, no, it really wasn't me. It was the Christians that did it. And so everybody began to hate the Christians because they got blamed for the great fire in Rome. And then Nero would go on to kill Christians eventually, and then he would impale them with spikes and dip them in tar and oil 
and pitch, and then he would light them on fire and set them in his garden, and he would literally use them as human tiki torches. And you can imagine that as Peter's hearers and listeners are hearing this, what do you think they were feeling in that moment when Peter was saying, suffering is coming? tribulation is coming. And we know this, right? When storms come in life, when tribulations come into our life, we can often pretty much bet that anxiety is not far behind those things as well. And so judging by the way that Peter closes out this letter, and he's telling these church that they're going to suffer, uh, that you can imagine that they're experiencing some anxiety. And now Peter, he, he wants to begin to address that for them. He doesn't want to just leave them in this anxious place, but he wants to help them in that. And that's why he starts here in verse 6. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, notice what Peter says right there in that text. Notice he he doesn't say if you have anxieties or when you have anxieties. Peter just automatically assumes that we are going to have anxieties. He, He doesn't say if or when. He just says, go ahead and cast all your anxieties on him. And really, maybe some of you, as you've gone through this series, and we've talked a lot about suffering for your faith in Jesus, and you look at the culture around you, uh, we, we see that Christianity no longer shares this prominent place in culture anymore, do we? I mean, Christians, we used to be viewed at and looked upon as the, as the moral guidelines of culture and society, and we were uh, in many ways held uh, with high esteem, but that's not the case anymore. And so as we've gone through this, maybe you've, you've seen that and you're recognizing that, and maybe there's some anxiety in you that like, okay, I begin to see that, and like maybe I too am going to be persecuted because of my faith in Jesus. And kind of to top it all off on that, this world um, we live in causes anxiety as well. We, we've experienced anxiety just because of the fallenness and brokenness. Uh, some of you in here are single, and you uh, have been single for a long time, and you're, you're, you're following Jesus, you love Jesus, you, you've put your faith and trust in Him, uh, but you have a level of anxiety about you because you're wondering, like, you know, am I ever going to get married? Some of you in here are married. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Uh, for some of you it might be a health problem it might be aging parents it might be a health problem for someone that you love it might be um, a financial burden it might be your children you know wondering if hey are they going to make the right choices are they going to make the right decisions are they on the right path you know, there's anxiety of like, you know, I'm sending my kids off for the very first time to school. What's, what's that going to be like for them? And, and when you look at the world around us, there's no shortage of things for us as individuals to be anxious about. But it's not really just us as individuals that are anxious, right? This is a, not an individual problem, but this is a cultural problem as well. It's a big deal in our society. Anxiety is now the number one mental health issue in, the, in, the, in America, over 40 million adults, and this is pre-COVID numbers. I don't have them after COVID. These are pre-COVID numbers. 40 million adults in the United States ages 18 and older. This isn't even counting 
under 18. This is only 18 and older. 40 million adults. That's almost 20% of the population. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, some, this, is, this is astonishing to me. Some 38% of girls ages 13 through 17. So 13 through 17, almost 4 out of 10 girls are suffering with anxiety. 26% of boys in that same age range, almost 3 out of 10, are struggling with anxiety. And when you look at us and you look at our culture and you look at the people around you, like everything is like we know that we are an anxious people. Now, hearing this, you probably now are maybe having great, I have anxiety about my anxiety. I'm anxious about that. And I want you to hear me on this this morning. No matter why you're anxious, maybe you're suffering, maybe uh, there's all kinds of reasons of why we suffer anxiety. Sometimes we suffer anxiety because of our circumstances. Sometimes we, it, is, it is biological reasons why we, we are uh, experiencing anxiety. Sometimes it's spiritual reasons why this is. Uh, but I want you to hear me on this this morning. Anxiety is not a sin. Anxiety is not a sin. It's a, it's a, anxiety is a natural part of our human fallenness. And even in this letter, Peter just assumes that we are going to be anxious. Now, so often I hear people struggle with, you know, if I have anxiety, it just means I don't have faith in God. And if I just had more faith in God, then I wouldn't be anxious. So, so there must be something wrong with me. Anxiety isn't a sin. But what we do with our anxiety, that's what matters. That's what matters. Because we can be anxious and have great faith, faith going to God with our anxiety saying, hey, I have this. We can cast our anxieties on him. But really over and over in scripture, it tells us where we can go with our anxiety. We read in John 14, 27, he says, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Why is Jesus saying that? Because he is the God of peace. 2 Thessalonians 3.16, it says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, in every way. The Lord be with you all. Then we read what Paul says in Philippians 4, 6. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. He says, Come to me. Pray. Let your request be made known to me. I, I, I want to know what is on your mind. Now, I'll be honest, one of the things that we as pastors do is as we are preparing messages, uh, I was kind of like starting out this week of like, oh great, <laughs> I'm be preaching about anxiety this week, and God never gives you a shortage of opportunities to live out what you're preaching about during the week. And as I was writing that very last verse in my notes here, it says, do not be anxious about anything, I can say honestly, well, I'm pretty much anxious about everything right now. And I don't know, but that, that, that's me. That was me this week, and I'm sure that was maybe you this week as well. I mean, like, can you relate to that? 
And this is what is so great about 1 Peter is what he's going to do for us today in God's word is he is going to say, not don't be anxious. He's going to say, here's what you do with your anxiousness. So what, what is Peter going to do? Well, I want to look at three things that Peter gives us through God's word today that can help with our anxiety. So we're going to begin in verse 5. Look at verse 5. He says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And the first thing I want you to see that God gives us to help us in times of anxiousness is that God gives us good leaders. And last week, we uh, went through the first four verses here in 1 Peter chapter 5. And Peter was addressing the, the elders and the pastors of the church. And he was telling them, like, hey, this is the type of pastors. These are the type of leaders and elders that you are called to be. He says, you are to be a happy elder, eager to serve by example in submission to the chief shepherd. Now, who is the chief shepherd? Jesus. Good. You guys were paying attention last week. And so uh, Jesus is our chief shepherd. And so as under shepherds, we are to submit. So your elders, your pastors here, we are to submit to the chief shepherd. And so Peter, he uses this word likewise right here. And this word likewise, it connects what he's about to say to what has previously been said. And so it connects it to these previous four verses. It goes likewise in the same way, just as your leaders must submit to the chief shepherd, you who are younger are to submit yourself to them. Now, when, when Jesus, uh, well, not when Jesus, but when Peter is saying, you who are younger, uh, there's some debate around who the younger are that Peter is talking to. And there's actually, the two views are, uh, the, when he's talking about the younger, he's actually talking to a group of younger people. He's talking about literal age here. Uh, that's one thought uh, of, of this translation. So he could be talking to the youngsters, the whippersnappers, you know, the, the young people there in the church. But this could also be used to address a type, a type of person. And I believe that's what Peter is addressing here when he said, basically is saying, the rest of you who are not elders. Now, you who are younger may not be the tripping point in this text for you. The tripping point in this passage for a lot of people is where it says, subject or to submit. And like you, you hear that word and like even in our culture, we're like, man, I don't like, like the idea that we have to submit to leaders and submit to authority. It just, it just kind of rubs against us. But what I want you to see over and over in scripture is that submission in scripture is always given and is never taken. Do you see that? It, it, submission is always given to who submission is supposed to be. It's never taken by a leader. If submission is demanded or taken by your leaders, then they fall into the trap of what Peter warns them not to do in verse 3, where he says, don't be domineering, but lead by examples. And so what Peter is telling the church, he's saying, if you have leaders that humbly submit to the chief shepherd 
if, if you have leaders that are happy and they're eager and they lead by example and they're not domineering, if you have these types of leaders, then you are to submit yourselves to them. Why? Because they're there to care for you. They're there to love you. They're there to guide you, protect you. They're, they're, they're there for you. And so you can come under them and, and what we say in the military sometimes and get some top cover. You can come under them. So how do leaders in our lives help with our anxiety? Well, one way that leaders help with anxiety is that they protect us from ourselves. I don't know about you, but a lot of the anxieties in my life have come from self-inflicted wounds. I've made dumb choices and dumb decisions in my life that have caused me a lot of anxiousness and worry in my days. And really, I need wise leaders to speak into my life to not protect me from things out there, but to protect me from me. I remember I was dating a girl in high school, and my parents came to me and said, son, I don't really think that's a wise decision for you to date this young lady. And I, looking back, I wish they would have warned me about a few others, uh, and I wish I would have listened, <laughs> right? Uh, but what, one of the ways that we see this as a pastor is when a Christian wants to marry a non-Christian. That even though we know in Scripture that it says Christians are not to be unequally yoked, that Christians should not marry someone who doesn't follow Christ, uh, but, but sometimes we still try to flirt to convert or we, we missionary dates, you know, thinking like, okay, I'm, I'm going to convert them. Uh, but you know, if you would just seek wise counsel from your elders and your leaders of like, hey, I want to marry this person or I want to date this person, uh, like, is, is this wise we might be able to speak into that a little bit and say, hey, here's what God's word has to say about this. I can't tell you how many times I've seen this play out where someone marries, us, uh, a, a Christian marries a non-Christian and they begin their marriage with two different sets of values. And, and one person is pursuing Jesus, another person is pursuing the world or themselves. And it changes things, how we parent our kids, how we uh, manage our finances. It, it changes our whole value system, and it causes so much anxiety within the marriage. And we, we're, we're then trying to walk through that and counsel them through that. You say, well, Tim, that sounds kind of domineering. Are you saying that you have to approve all marriages before that? No, we're not saying that. I don't, I don't want that responsibility uh, to, to say who can marry and who can't. But what, what, I, what I do want to do is I want to point you to God's word and say, this is what God's word says. And remember, submission is always given and never taken. So you have in that moment a choice if you're going to heed wise counsel or not. Another way pastors can uh, or leaders can help with anxiety is that they can walk with you in anxious times. They can walk with you in anxious times. I think of Psalm 23 when it talks about the good shepherd um, and it's about Jesus or God being this good shepherd. And it says, as we walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, you shouldn't fear because we're with you, uh, but as under shepherds, we get to be this example of the chief shepherd and walk with you in the midst of whatever is going through what you're going through in your life. We, we, we want somebody to walk with us in those dark times. I remember when my kids were little, uh, we lived in a two-story home, 
And we would send them upstairs to get their uh, change into pajamas and brush their teeth. And almost every night they would make it halfway up the stairs and then they would come back and be like, hey, we need you to go there and turn some lights on for us. They wanted mom and dad, to, like just, they needed someone to be with them. Uh, I was, I was wa- writing this out. I was thinking if, if you've ever come here into the gathering center at night and the lights are out and no one's here, it's a little spooky. You know, I, I would like someone to hold my hand as we walk in here trying to find some lights. It's a little, it's a little spooky in here at night. But we want someone to walk with us in those dark moments, don't we? Can I just say your pastors are here to walk with you through those anxious moments in life. We can't fix them. We don't have that power. But we can provide our presence with you in that moment. And really, this isn't really just about pastors. But God has placed in our lives all kinds of different types of authority to protect us. Teens... God has given you parents who have wisdom and life experience, and you really should listen to their wisdom. And all the parents said, there we go, there we go. Um, And and those things, your parents can protect you from a lot of things if you just listen to the wisdom and guidance in that and walk with them through those difficult times. What else? What else can help us with our anxiety? Look back down at verse 5. He says, likewise, you who are are younger, uh, be subject to the elders. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So God gives us leaders, but I want you to see right now that God gives us community. Peter, he switches and he says he begins to address the whole church again. He's addressed elders, he's addressed the whole church Uh, that are not elders, and now he's addressing every single one of us once again, where he says, clothe yourselves, all of you. Now, you may be wondering, what does humility and pride have to do with anxiety? Because pride, if you think about it, it does not feel like anxiety, does it? I mean, pride says, I got this. I ain't scared. I got it done. But so often, Much of our anxiety comes from trying to handle things on our own. Anxiety comes when we are pridefully trying to live at a pace of life that our souls cannot sustain. Pride says, I got this. I can handle this on my own. Pride says, I can handle more than my limits. And we do this often, don't we? That we as humans, I mean, like, I'm, I'm guilty of this, so this is me preaching to me right here, but we try to take on more than we can realistically handle in a 24-hour day. I mean, we try to cram so much into that 24-hour period that we over-busy over ourselves, and we wonder and we're anxious, like, how is it all going to get done? And then, on top of that, we feel the pressure to do even more. We're worried about getting it done, but then we're worried that we're not doing enough. So we, we, we try to press more into that. Does anybody else do that or is that just me? Yeah, just me. Probably so. <laughs> Probably so. I'm guilty of it, right? Uh, we feel like I should be able to work a full-time 45-hour-plus job a week because full-time is not 40 hours anymore. It's more than that now. Um, that we should still be able to work a full-time job, spend quality time with Jesus, spend quality time with the spouse, spend quality time with the kids, um, work on my own self-care, 
check in with hobbies, uh, have uh, deep, meaningful, uh, connecting friendships and relationships. Oh, and on top of that, we are supposed to get eight hours of sleep a night. And that's just the normal stuff. Throw in a tragedy or a difficult situation and the whole system gets blown up. Now, I don't know about you, but that causes anxiety in me because we're trying to live and walk and sustain a pace of life that we cannot keep up with. And our pride says, yes, you can. And we get anxious about it because we live in a culture that is just stuck in overdrive when it comes to productivity and individualism. See, we're stuck in this place where our value as a human being is no longer based on who Christ says we are, but our value is based upon here in our human culture on what we produce. And individualism says, individualism says on top of that, then I am to do all of that and be self-sufficient. But Peter says, this is pride. But the reverse of this is humility. That's what he calls us to. And really, you have to think about it. It is humbling to admit that I can't do it all. It's humbling to admit that I have to ask for help. Now, we think a lot of times that um, I don't want to burden anyone else with my stuff because they got their stuff going on and uh, I don't want to bother them. And and so I'm just going to keep... all this stuff to me. And what ends up happening is everyone is, is thinking that. And so what ends up happening is no one is helping out anyone. And Peter says, all of you humble yourself and, and admit and understand that you can't do it all and that you have a network of relationships that you can lean on. Now, I want you to notice what, what Peter says right here. He says, clothe yourselves. This refers to an apron. Peter's talking about an apron that a slave or a servant would put around, like a tunic that they would put around their clothes to keep them, to keep them from getting dirty. And they would put this on, the slave or the, uh, the servant would put this on when they were serving someone else. And no doubt this is another one of those moments when Peter has in mind the words of Jesus in John 13. So turn with me over there. This is Jesus, it's the night that he is getting ready to be betrayed. He's having the the Passover supper with his disciples. Picks up here in verse 3, he says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, this is that clothe yourselves with humility part, tied it around his waist, Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Church, we are called to serve one another. How much would your anxiety be lessened if you knew, like if you really, truly knew that someone had your back? That no matter what came your way, that someone was going to be there with you, for you, to help you out. That you weren't there to carry the weight and the load all by yourself, but you had someone with you. Church, if I can just say one thing. We are a church family, and we are to have one another's back. I need to know that you have my back, and you need to know that I have your back. So how do we do that? How do we 
serve one another? Well, there's two ways that we can, we can do that. First, we can serve inside the walls of Grace Point Church. Secondly, we can serve outside the walls of Grace Point Church. We can serve one another in our church family. When we come here, like this building is our home. We as a, the body of Christ come to, on Sundays to worship together. We, we eat bread here together. Uh, we, we worship Jesus together. We do all kinds of things here together as a family. And, and just like any household, any household, there are responsibilities and things that need to get done and be carried out with. And so we here at Grace Point Church should serve one another inside these walls. So how do we do that? Well, you may have noticed there's a bunch of tables out there in the lobby. And those are areas that we have here at Grace Point Church where we need help. This is us being humble and asking for help. And we need to know that our church family has our back. Do you know what causes anxiety? Miss Sabrina over there with 40 elementary age kids and two volunteers. <laughs> Yeah, there's nothing more frightening knowing that you're outnumbered with a bunch of elementary age kids, right? Now, a kid, like Miss Sabrina's great. She's amazing. She's got wonderful, uh, wonderful team back there. But she could use some help. She could use your help. And here's what happens. With a church this size, everybody thinks, oh, somebody else is going to do it. And then if everybody thinks that, then nobody does it. So I'm going to ask you this morning, if not you, then... We can serve one another outside these walls. What would it look like if we saw one another and we just heard of someone struggling and we knew they were going through a difficult time? What if we just stepped in and we just said, hey, how can I help? Where can I serve? What can I do? Uh, and here's the flip side of that. When someone offers us help, most of the time we're just like, I got it. And we don't like to ask for help in that moment. And we either shun help or we just don't even ever reach out and ask for help. Let me ask you this. Have you ever asked Jesus for help? Yeah, you have. So why do you feel like it's okay to ask the king of the universe for help, but you can't ask for somebody else's help? Sounds a little prideful to me. God gives us a church community to walk with us in those difficult times. Again, Imagine your anxiety level just going down if you're confident that you didn't have to handle all of this stuff on your own. And finally, God gives us his might and his care. God gives us his might and his care. Look at verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Do you see that? Peter gives us two things about God's character and his nature, his might and his care. That God is, he is powerful, but at the same time, he is loving. That God is this all-powerful, all-knowing, almighty, all-present God of the universe. 
And at the same time, he is a compassionate, tender, merciful father who adores you. And if you're ever going to make it through difficult times, you have to have both of those realities. You have to have might and care, and you have to hold on to both of those things. But here's what we do. We have a natural tendency to believe one and forget about the other. So if you're here sometimes and you're going through it, um, we, we, we believe that, that God is, is mighty, but we forget that he cares. Or we believe that God cares, but we forget that he is mighty. That we, that we, we know that God loves us, that he's, um, but you somehow have forgotten that God is sovereign, that he can work and he can handle anything that you are going through. And if you've forgotten that God is mighty, that he will be with you, that he will walk through it with you, uh, that he can handle any situation that you're going to, it's no wonder that you're anxious. Because it almost feels like if God is mighty, like I forgot God is mighty, it feels like God is like, he's really not in control. He really can't handle what I'm going through. I know he loves me and he cares for me. I just doubt he, he's, he can do anything about my situation. And forgot that he is the God of the universe that holds all things together. And if we forget that, then what chance do I have? Some of you maybe are here today because you're anxious, because you've forgotten, not because God is mighty, but because you've forgotten that he cares or that he loves you. Think about it. Something bad happens to you. You get the call of a tragic accident or a bad health report. You've lost your job or whatever that is. We, in on one hand, we know that God is powerful enough to do something about that. We believe he's powerful, uh, but for whatever reason, uh, God in his sovereign wisdom, he didn't do it. Suffering has come and has been knocking on our door, and we, and we begin to ask God, like, why did God not allow this? Or why did God allow this? Uh, I thought he loved me. Why didn't he keep this from happening? I know God is powerful, and he could have stopped it and prevented that from happening. He could have caused something else better to happen. And, and we begin to believe, like, like, God can do that, but he didn't. And we begin to doubt his love and his care for us. And it doesn't make sense, especially as us parents, because like we, we know as parents, we would prevent, if we saw our kids getting ready to do something that we know would be hurtful or painful, like we would stop that. Why? Because we love them. And we, and we begin to equate that with God. We begin to believe that in all of this, because God didn't stop it, because he somehow allowed it, we begin to believe that God just doesn't care. And we forget God works all things together for our good, for those who love God, those who are called according to his purposes. But if we're ever going to survive whatever this life has to throw at us, we have to hold on to the belief that God is mighty and that God cares. I think the best example in Scripture where this gets played out is over in Daniel chapter 3. So go ahead and turn with me over to Daniel chapter 3. Old as uh, a story in the Old Testament, it's uh, about three guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, and that's really how you say it. 
uh, and he's been taken into, they've been taken into Babylon, and King Nebuchadnezzar there, he's built this idol, and he's commanded everyone and says, like, whenever you hear the music play, you have to bow down and worship this idol. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, now, Abednego, they're, they're Christ followers. They, they worship the one true and living God. And so when the music plays, they don't fall down. They don't worship. They still stand and remain. They're like, you know what? We're not going to do that. King Nebuchadnezzar, he hears about it, and he's a little ticked off. And so he calls them in. Look here in verse, uh, verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought so, so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, that you uh, do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? He says, I'm going to give you a second chance. I'm, I'm a gracious king. I'm going to give you a second chance. He says, Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the backpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. I'll give you another chance. But if you don't do that, if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Now, I don't know about you. I'd be a little anxious. I mean, I'm not just about to die. I'm just about to die a very painful death. And it's not going to be quick. Let's see how these three respond. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, says, O Nebuchadnezzar, <clears throat> we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. They trusted in God's might. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They were assured of God's care. He said, we know God can deliver us, but if he doesn't, that still doesn't mean that he doesn't care, but it means that he will be with us in the midst of that, that we can trust him because he is good and because he is mighty. And because of God's might and because of God's care for us, we can do what uh, Peter says in verse 7 where he says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for because of God's might and because God cares, we can actually cast our anxieties. Now, this, this word cast here is key. Because this word cast means I'm throwing it and I'm not taking it back. It's not like a fishing rod, right? Where you cast out a reel and then you reel it back in. It, it, it means I'm, I'm putting it all on you, God. Way easier said than done. probably been wondering what this is for. I want you to pretend for just a moment that this ball of Play-Doh represents all your balled-up worries and anxieties. It's all the things that you 
have going on in your life. You're worried about your, your teens driving. You're worried about if they're going to make wise choices. You're worried about if they're going to follow Jesus as they get older. Maybe you're worried about, like, how's my marriage going to work out? How's my blended family, how's that going to take place? What's, what's, what's happening with my aging parents? What's, what's going on with them? Am I going to survive this diagnosis? And we have all of these anxieties, everything that we have in our life, we're just, we're just holding on to. And this idea that this table here represents God. He's our firm foundation in the midst of all of this. What happens is we hear a message like you heard today about how we should trust God, that he is mighty and that he cares and that we are to cast all of our anxieties on him. And we like, you know what? I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I feel convicted. I feel like I haven't trusted God, but God, I trust you. I know you're mighty and I know you care. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to just cast all my cares on you. And we kind of slam them down. We just still kind of hold on to them. And we pick them back up. And we pull back. We said, okay, for real this time, God. I promise. I trust you. You're good. I know that. But I, I'm going to, so I'm going to cast all my anxieties on you. We pick them back up. And they become a weight that we just can't hold anymore. And we, we, we get convicted. And we're like, okay, I promise God. I know I keep doing this. And we confess. Like, I just keep picking these up. And we just keep, uh, you know, Lord, I have all this. I want you to do something with it. And we set them down. And we begin to walk away. We walk away. And we stop. We can't do it. We can't do it. We got to come over here and we just grab them, put them in our pocket, and we just keep going. Easier said than done. But this is what we do. This is what God's word calls us to do. And we take all of our anxieties and worries and we say, Lord, I humble myself before you. I confess that I've tried to live at a pace of life that I can't sustain. I've tried to carry this weight all by myself. But I know that you're a good God. And I trust you. There you are. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We know that you love us. Every week we are assured of how much you care. And so, Father, because of that, we, you're a good God. We know that we can cast our anxieties and our burdens on you. 
Father, just forgive us for our pride to think that we can handle things on our own. Forgive us for our pride when we think that we can, uh, when we don't ask for help, <clears throat> whether that be from you or from others. Father, forgive us when we just keep taking back all of our worries and anxiousness and anxieties. And Father, we're just grateful that in all of that, you remain faithful. And you keep calling to us saying, just, I care. I care, and I can handle it. I care, and I'll walk with you through it. So, Father, those who are here today, maybe they're just feeling some anxiousness, Father, I just pray that you would just uh, draw closer to them, that your peaceful presence would would. Just give them this peace that surpasses all understanding in their lives. And Father, we just ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.